Hello and welcome to My Biggest Lesson, the show that brings you the key learnings from the most influential founders, executives, and investors in the Colorado tech community. My name is Adam Burrows. And I'm Chris Erickson. Together, we are the co-founders of Range Ventures. An early stage venture firm based in Denver. You can find out more about what we're up to at range.vc. Our guest this week is Lauren Bendel. Lauren is the CEO of Arrived, a SaaS company in Boulder serving the craft brewing industry that closed on a $20 million Series B earlier this year. Lauren moved to Colorado a couple of years ago after being the CEO of Savings.com in LA. And as you'll see, brings a wealth of lessons and experience to the local Colorado tech community. Lauren, thanks so much for joining us today. Yeah, happy to be here. Thanks for having me. Cool. Well, we'd love to just jump right in and, and hear a little bit about what you're up to these days in Boulder. I'm the CEO of Arrived, and we are a point of sale technology company. We started originally in the craft brew space. So if you look at the largest craft breweries in Colorado, like Avery, Left Hand, Four Noses, these are customers of ours, and we have about 45% of all the craft breweries in Colorado and 12% nation, nationwide. And then now we're expanding into other industries as well. The vision was always to do more than just craft beer, but it's a really cool industry to start in. So we wanted to start with a niche focus, and we've got a lot of beer enthusiasts here and a whole lot of people that work here that started in the, in the beer industry, so it was a natural place for us to start. But we're expanding into restaurants, music venues. Um, we we have the point of sale uh, systems in Boulder Theater, in the Fox, and then also in restaurants and pizza joints and some ice cream stores. So it is a a um, robust and flexible point of sale system that can work in a lot of different hospitality situations. That's awesome, and I know this isn't your first rodeo. In, in tech and scaling a, a successful company. Uh, when did you join Arrived and, and what were you doing before that? Yeah, so I joined Arrive in May of this year. And the business has been around for you know five plus years and founded by some phenomenal technologists out of Google Payments. And uh, so deep experience in the payments ecosystem. Before that, I was brought in to, to run a company called Savings.com. And we did deals and discounts and promotions in Los Angeles. I was in LA for 21 years before moving out here. And we essentially took user-generated content where the community would submit deals and then vote on the deals. So the best deals rise to the top. And then we made that content available to consumers either through our website. Uh, they would find us, you know, SEO, SEM, or just directly coming to our site to find the best deals ranked by popularity. And then we would also power deals for other communities. So Yahoo Deals, we power deals for them. Um, communities like military.com, all the way down to small bloggers would come to our site, take deals, and then get a commission for anything, any sales they drove through us. So, and then a big part of our business was finding those deals, negotiating deals to get exclusive deal content. And about 20% of our revenue came from deals that were exclusive to our community that we were able to negotiate with merchants. We sold that company to Cox Media Group. And then I wanted to spend a little time doing something for the world. So I was I built a platform called Gel. G-E-L-L, which is uh, a platform for civil discourse. It's a social media site specifically designed for civil discourse where you would take comments in two columns instead of just one column with agree, disagree, voted by popularity while filtering out personal attacks, off-topic posts, hate speech, 
And we've got that in the hands now of a couple of labs, one in Stanford and one in MIT. We'll see where it goes. I think the platform works great, but the biggest challenge is you got to get 20 million monthly active users to make it start to turn. So we've got some people working on that now. And then I decided to jump back in for a commercial endeavor because that one's really hard and super high risk. It may or may not work. This, this is a business I know is working and has a ton of potential and a great team. So I'm excited about scaling and working with this team. That's great. And certainly I can say, you know, personally and on behalf of society, we hope that gel works. <laughs> it right. certainly sounds like a, a, a great alternative to obviously some of the polarization out there you see today. So super excited that you uh, decided to do that. Love to hear a little bit about your experience. Like Chris, you moved from the West Coast and decided to join us out here in Colorado. Love to hear your experience doing that. What brought you out here and, and what you've what you've thought of the tech scene here so far compared to LA? Yeah. It's funny, like I've had this conversation with a bunch of people who've moved to Boulder recently, and it seems like everybody has the exact same story. After selling savings, my wife and I said, said, you know, where do we want to raise our kids? Where do we want to live? We could do it here in LA, but maybe now's a good time to take stock and look around and see if there's a community that's more in line with what we love and how we want to raise our kids. And, you know, long story short, Boulder and the, the Boulder, Denver area and specifically one. You know, it's a, great, it's a strong tech scene, great airport to get anywhere you need to in the country, access to nature to be able to you know, raise our kids in, in nature and ski and hike and mountain bike and fish and be up in the mountains, which is important to us. It's a, a safe community, a friendly community, a welcoming community, a thoughtful community. I like that it's a purple state, too. I like the left, right and center. And, uh, you know, Boulder's pretty, pretty left, right? But just the fact that it's surrounded by the rest of Colorado, I find there's a little bit more uh, political diversity, at least. You know, access to the university, I think, brings a lot of energy and neat stuff. You know, lots of good options for schools for raising kids. So I grew up in a smaller town, you know, so being able to raise my kids where they can hop on their bike and run to go see their friends and or walk and, you know, roam the neighborhood and feel comfortable with them doing that is pretty exciting to both of us. Those are the reasons. So I came out here and no idea what would do next but just uh, trusting and hoping would find something that was cool and was felt really blessed and lucky to find arrived because it just really checks all the boxes of a great product, great team, great culture, huge market opportunity. And in a space I know something about, I, I, I was one of the strategic leads for a point of sale system in the floral industry when I was at Teleflora, I don't know, 12 years ago. So I like this space a lot. Great. Lauren, I don't know how, you, I know you've been, been heads down on your projects and don't know how much time you've been able to kind of spend in the broader tech scene. But new question this week by popular demand from, from some listeners is what's a, another Colorado tech company aside from Arrive that, that you're excited about? Yeah. Um, full disclosure, I invested in this one, so I'm a little biased, but I do think it's cool. It's a company called Veho, V-E-H-O, if you know those guys. Um, yeah. Yeah, you know, they're they're essentially taking Amazon Flex, right? The the gig economy delivering packages for Amazon, you know, when someone just shows up at your house with a package and they're not in a truck, they're just in their own car. They're doing that for everybody except Amazon. I liked the idea at first. I liked the founders. I was a mentor at Techstars and officing out of there when I first moved here and met Fred. There, I believe his title is still CTO, but he's one of the two found initial founders. And he's just a great guy. And I like the product a lot. And they're scaling like crazy right now. So that's super interesting to me. Yeah, absolutely. Great tailwinds there from, from COVID. And uh, we, we wish, you know, uh, Ida and Fred and, and the rest of the team uh, tons of success uh, in the years to come. They're doing great. 
And so Lauren, before jumping in and talking about your biggest lesson, as you look at the ecosystem here in Colorado from a tech perspective, you know, is there anything you see that is a standout from you know, how Colorado is going to succeed long-term? And also, is there anything you see that's missing from building a great ecosystem as well? Yeah, great questions. You know, I, I will say it was a lot smaller than I even thought when I first moved out here compared to LA or San Francisco or New York, but it punches well above its weight. You know, there's, there's a lot going on here and it's growing fast. So I think what it has going for it is a lot of people just want to live here. You know, there's a whole lot of people that want to live here uh, for all the reasons I mentioned, right? That's attractive. So I think we are and we can continue to pull talent to the area. People that are tired of being in a, you know, San Francisco or New York, you know, building a company, you know, the, at savings.com, we built mostly out of Santa Barbara to start and then LA and LA and Santa Barbara had this going for it too. You know, if you build a company in San Francisco, everybody on your team has a business plan in their back pocket. They're shopping their own deal. They're getting poached left and right. So it may be, and I think we have this going for us, it may be a little harder to recruit but it's a lot easier to retain. You, you build a good culture, you treat people well, and you, and you have a good product. It's less of the coin-operated mentality you might find in Silicon Valley. So I think that's a definite advantage. And I think we can pull people. People are interested in moving to a place like this. Not all of them, you're not gonna get everybody. But if you find the right person and you have a great opportunity and then they have the ability to live in a Boulder or Denver and you know weekend, up in the mountains, that's that's a real draw for a whole heck of a lot of people. So I, I think that's a huge advantage for Colorado. And I think our political climate is good. I think we're a well-run state where I don't think California is. And I think that's attractive to a lot of people, especially as you start getting a little bit older. You see, okay, my tax dollars will be better spent here. And we are focusing on the right things to drive growth and success of the state where I think, you know, some people could argue that California is in a bit of a death spiral in some ways. You know, they're, they're bankrupt <laughs> and have been for a while, and I don't see any way out of it. On the challenges, I, you know, I, we need more diversity, you know, that we really do. And that was one of the reasons we didn't want to move to Colorado and didn't want to move to Boulder and spe- specifically. And I remember reading the stats saying, you know, it was 20, roughly 20% Latino. And I was like, okay, that's, that's okay, that's some diversity. But it's not integrated, you know, so you get on the soccer fields, you know, you get where your kids are, you're hanging out at the tech scene, you don't see 20% Latino. So we need to do a better job of attracting more diversity, promoting more diversity in the leadership positions. And, and I'm a big believer in that, not just because it's the right thing to do, which it is, but our, our customers are diverse. And so if we don't have diverse employees, we're missing that voice. We're missing that in, in any industry, right? And no matter what you're doing, that's, that applies to us for sure. It arrived. So that's something we need to work on as a, as a state, for sure. Lauren, as someone who moved from California almost two years ago, exactly, I don't think I could have said it better myself from all of the advantages and the challenges as well, too. So it completely resonates with my experience and what I've seen. So now diving into to why you're here, Lauren, I would love to hear what the biggest lesson is you've learned and how you learned it. Well, I'll give it, I'll give a short one because it's more, but it's, you know, I guess tribute to my mom, right? As, as a child early on, whenever I would complain about 
anybody or anything else, like a relationship. And this started like second grade, right? Or, you know, as far back as I can remember, I would say a friend was doing something that bothered me and should say, well, what's your part in this? And it drove me crazy because I was like, no, I'm not talking about me. I'm talking about them. <laughs> you know? And but she was very adamant about that always growing up. And it always just made you think about, you know, it takes two to tango and every relationship is not just you. And what's your part in that? So that's sort of a, I guess, just a life one that does apply to everything else, too. And work too. work is mostly relationships, especially when you get into leadership positions. It's how you work with other people. So if you have any problems with someone else, you got to look at what's your part in it. What are you doing? Because that's the thing that's easiest for you to affect. The other one I would say, maybe, maybe sort of related to this, is realizing that almost always everybody on your team and everybody you work with wants to do a great job. And it's a simple little thing. But, you know, when you start off as a manager, there's a lot of people that think oh, they're, they're just they're not they don't care. They're not trying hard enough or what are they doing? You know, and there's a there's a horrible joke in management that you guys may have heard that I hate. And I don't even think it's that funny, but it's a if you have a leader that believes this, they're going to be a crappy leader. But it's a joke that you know, management would be great if it wasn't for all the people. You know, that's why management is great. That's why leadership is great. It's because of all the people and learning that like everybody wants to do a good job and how can we as leaders support them and help them be successful. You know, you do that and one, they're going to be more successful. Two, you're going to create a better culture. And three, you're going to create real loyalty because like that's somebody who makes me good at my job. That's somebody that helps me be the best I can possibly be. And yes, every now and then you get people that are, I don't know, just playing job. You know, they're just there because they need a paycheck for now, but they really want to be somewhere else. But that's such the rarity. Most people, when they sign up to a job and they're going to be there eight hours a day plus, you know, they want to be great. They want to grow. They want to learn. They want to achieve. They want to be successful. And just remembering that every, you know, everybody you're, you're with is, is trying to be successful. And what can I do to help them? And Lauren, so, you know, I think all of the biggest lessons are typically ones that people have, have learned from experience, but this one especially feels like it was learned from experience, maybe both as, you know, employee and then both as a leader. I saw on Quora one time, somebody asked the question about what are challenges people have seen in the workplace with really smart people, like for really smart people, um, what are challenges they have in the workplace? And I've been privileged to work with a lot of really smart people. And a lot of times where they fall short is, I call it the smart guy toolkit. What they need to learn is if you're really smart, chances are growing up, you got most of your social capital from being really smart. You know, in your friend network, you were in the smartest classes, you, were in the, you, you did well. And so you kind of rest on that and you ride on that. That's like the worst card to play when you're trying to build teams and everything and to make people think you're smart and to make people think you're smarter than them and to try and do that. And I had a mentor early on in my career, like one of my first jobs, he pulled me aside and he was like, hey, you need to stop trying to show people that you're smart. They all get that you're smart. They just don't get that you care about them. <laughs> and that hit me really hard, right? Because like, in my social life, I was at lots of great friends. You know, I've been best man in four weddings. So I think when I'm outside of work, I really invest in relationships and people. But I had this mindset of, okay, now I'm at work though. It's about work. I don't want to waste their time with the pleasantries because we're all trying to kick ass together. We're trying to go build stuff. We're trying to make things happen. But the reality is we're humans. You know, we need that social connection. We need that emotional connection. We didn't, I need to know you care about me and you need to know I care about you. And 
I started taking the time to do that. It was like, you know, Eureka, a Eureka moment, right? But one, people responded to me a lot better, right? If, if you take the time to get to know them personally, when you get into work situations, there's the trust, there's the respect. And then it's a lot easier to ask harder questions. It's a lot easier, easier to ask for stuff that you need. And then when you get to points where you disagree and you have con- potentially contentious situations, you have that foundation of mutual trust and respect. So I was much more effective at work. And then the thing that I didn't know I would find is I, I just had a lot more fun. You know, work was more enjoyable. So that, that to me, that sort of related to that, the point of empathy and getting to know other people and really understanding them. And then what are they trying to do in their job and in their life? And how can I help them do that? So Lauren, it sounds like that's something you, you clearly now do every day as a leader in your company and take that approach. Any specific tips or tactics for people that are listening as to how they can act that way intentionally every day in their roles as leaders? Yeah, you know, and it's hard to do if you're also in a performance culture. You know, if you're driving hard and you've got, a, you know, big ambitious goals. So I think there's a couple of things, you know, with your direct reports, you know, definitely having a weekly meeting with a clear agenda, but also spend some time and at the top of that asking them how they're doing. You know, what's, what's going on? You know, get to know them a little bit in their life. I don't know if you guys have ever used, or I'm sure you've probably heard of the, the, the Traction book and the EOS and the Entrepreneurial Operating System. You know, their level 10 meeting starts with everybody goes around the table and says, what's something positive in your personal life and work life? Mm-hmm. And I think little things like that matter, right? And when you hear someone say, oh, yeah, my kid just you know, scored a goal at soccer, you know, it it humanizes everybody. And it reminds us that we are human beings first and emotional human beings that need to feel heard and respected and ideally loved. So little things like that matter, you know, taking time in the weekly meetings, taking time to go for walks, taking time to grab lunch and, and dinner with people and get to know people on a personal level. I think baking in some fun time together as a company you know, I, I like doing kind of a quarterly heartbeat on planning and celebration too. Um, not to say we're not, there's some projects that you're planning on a daily basis. You know, you're, lo- you're looking at numbers and iterating on a daily basis. But on a quarterly basis, I like the heartbeat of, you know, get together with my leadership team, review what happened in the previous quarter, what worked, what didn't work, and then talk about what we're going to do for the next quarter. And that's usually a one day offsite. And then we take that and get put it in front of the board as well. What follows that is the board meeting. And usually it's, it's nothing but approval, but ideally you have a smart, challenging board that might come up with an idea you haven't thought of before and make you tweak it a little bit. And then you go to the whole company and say, here's what we're doing and why. And you, hope, you know, this shouldn't be the first time they've heard this because ideally all their leaders have been uh, getting the ideas from them and, and doing that two-way communication. And then after that, you want to have a party you know, and, and celebrate um, and get together and have fun. And I had a friend of mine, one of my partners at the uh, my last company, he was a, a Norwegian guy that was in the Norwegian version of the Navy SEALs and, you know, super analytical computer scientist. And he called it forced human to human interaction. <laughs> and, and it would be because, you know, some people don't like it. They don't want to do it. But if you have a party and you get everybody close together, and you do stuff that's good for the introverts, you know, the extroverts, your salespeople, they don't need anything. They're just going to run around and talk to everybody and have a damn good time. The introverts need a board game or need, 
you know, cornhole or need darts or need something. We would do, we, we called it office Olympics, which was super fun and coming up with a bunch of different games, put everybody on teams. And then you would do like 10 different events that all were scored and timed and you'd create winners. And they were, they were goofy, like a typing contest, you know, how fast you could type, you know, the dropping an egg off of a two-story building with a set group of tools to see if it would survive the crash office chair bobsled where you had like five bobs, you know, office chairs and people sat in them. You hold on to the chair in front of you and you run around an obstacle course in the office, probably a HR hazard and a workers comp workman's comp uh, risk, but stuff like that's fun. So, so taking time to have fun together, taking time to get to know each other and then encouraging your managers to do this and your leaders to do this on a regular basis. I'm also a big fan of trying to not trying, of really drilling down throughout the entire organization, that concept in one of Malcolm McDowell's, Malcolm McDowell's books of the Power Distance Index, where if you look at different countries, and this, this came up from when they started looking at airlines and the incidences of commercial airline accidents around the world, and they found there's a huge disparity. Philippines, I think, had one of the worst, and you know the U.S. was one of the best. And they tried to figure out why it was. And they found that, you know, all the things they thought, you know, difference in security, difference in maintenance, difference in training of pilots, that was all standardized across all of them. So what they found, what it was, was the power distance between the number one pilot and the number two pilot. Biggest factor, because the number one pilot would be tired flying into a storm and nobody would challenge them. In the Philippines, the number two pilot, their job when they landed was to go get the number one pilot dinner and buy that pilot's wife a gift. (laughs) <laughs> that's how subservient they were. They were like a low, I wouldn't treat an assistant like that, you know? <laughs> so they were treated like a low level assistant. And because of that, they would never challenge them. So building that into your company where there's as low a power distance index as possible, where people can challenge everybody, including the CEO and say, I totally disagree. And here's why that's, that's good for all of this culture as well. And, and building those relationships because you treat people like equals and humans they're going to respect you more too. Uh, Lauren, you said something really interesting about um, bu- you know building the importance of building trust, having folks go around the meeting, share uh, you know things from their personal life so that it humanizes everybody. One of the things that does is it creates an assumption of best intent, right, by everybody, and everybody realizes. I think to your other, earlier point, everyone cares, everyone's trying the best they can. I've heard from some other CEOs that that's something that really got lost a little bit in the pandemic with everyone work- working virtually and harder to replicate on Zoom. Did you find that at all? Or were you guys able to, to work through that? I can't really speak to it so much because mo- mostly during the pandemic, you know, I started in May of this year. So, and right when I started, we came back to the office. So I, I had this beautiful breath of fresh air from everybody. Nice to see each other again, working together in the office. So I can't speak to that tremendously. And, and, and it may be true, but I will say I've had a ton of experience working with remote workers I've always been about hire the best people, no matter where they live. And when we were based in LA, our engineering team was in Santa Barbara. We got together once a quarter. So I, I it's may, maybe it's hard, but it, harder, but it's doable. It's totally doable. You know, I think you can do a lot on a one-on-one during a phone call or uh, Zoom, but you have to learn the tactics of getting past the bullshit, right, and get into what's really going on and do practice that active listening of like, is there anything about this you disagree with? Don't just tell me you like it because I'm guessing here. And a lot of times when I'm really confident, I know I sound confident right now, but a lot of times when I sound confident, I'm really wrong. <laughs> so is there anything about this you don't like 
or anything you do, you know, really asking those questions a lot and not stopping after the first time. It, it, and you can do that, I think, through a Zoom call, through a phone call, through anything. Great. Well, thanks, Lauren. Really appreciate it. these are awesome, uh, awesome les- lessons and uh, super applicable, I think, to to everybody who, who's listening. Where can our listeners get in touch with you and learn your tips for office bobsledding? I'm definitely on LinkedIn and Twitter, but just not super active on 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 either of those. Cool. Thanks, Lauren. Really appreciate your time today. Yeah, you bet. Thank you, Lauren. 